Welcome to BuildCast, where we delve into the backstories of experts and other players in the built environment to reveal their journey and how they got built. Join us in our conversation to learn from their life experiences, to be the catalyst for innovation, and to make sustainable building mainstream building. Now here is your host and the principal thinker at Build Tank Inc., Robbie Schwartz. The wait for hot water at the tap can last several minutes, leading to wasted water, time, money, and energy. I spoke with Larry Acker, the Chief Technology Officer and Inventor at ACT Demand Control Systems, about how their control systems work to eliminate the wait time for water from the hot water heater to the faucet and the waste time associated with that wait time. The demand control systems use an efficient pump and temperature sensing system to move a large quantity of water in a short amount of time. Once activated, the system brings hot water from the water heater to the tap in seconds. When the integrated temperature sensing detects hot water in the line, the pump is shut off, leaving hot water for the homeowner to use at the tap. The circulation pump can be retrofitted into an existing home by utilizing the cold water line to bring water back to the water heater, or it can be designed into a newly constructed home with a dedicated recirculation pipe loop that brings water back to the water heater. The result of either installation is greater comfort, efficiency, and water conservation by providing instant water, hot water, at the farthest fixture from the water heater. Remember that instant is relative. One does have to activate the pump with a push of the button while using the demand control system or potentially a motion sensor or an adaptive learning technology when using other systems. I hope you enjoy learning more about these technologies and how energy and water savings can be achieved. Larry was a wealth of information and knowledge and it was a great pleasure speaking with him. Hello, I'm here with Larry Ackert. Uh, he is the CTO and inventor of ACT Demand Control Systems. How are you, Larry? I'm doing fine. Uh, thank you very much for having me on the show. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. So um, to start with, um, in your company name, ACT, what does the ACT stand for? Advanced Conservation Technology, Inc. So okay. the ACT is actually an acronym for the uh, legal name of the company. Originally, when we first started, it was it was always Advanced Conservation Technology Inc. But uh, we used the acronym ACT Metland Systems for many many years, and uh, we rebranded that a little bit to give it more identification of what the product actually does. So we incorporated and trademark uh, demand controls, demand control systems, and uh, words of that kind that were more conducive to what the product actually does. Unfortunately, when you get in the industry like we did and we had national publicity, uh, they remember the old name. And so they yeah. still call it by ACT Metland Systems. Okay. And so demand control systems, what, what exactly are demand control systems? Well, back in the uh, 80s, <clears throat> I realized that uh, the issue that we had today was water. It's always been water conservation. I grew up in the Mojave Desert, uh, 
my older brother was an engineer, worked on the X-15 project, and uh, Chuck Yeager actually lived two doors down the street from me at that time. So uh, being in the desert like that, you realize how important water really is. Then what I did is I looked for avenues of being able to save that water from a consumer perspective. And that's where we first started to come up with the idea that most people were complaining about the delivery of hot water from their water heater to their fixtures. So it was kind of natural to figure out a way that we could uh, incorporate some type of a system to move that water very rapidly from the water heater to the fixtures without running it down the drain. Yeah. And then we, we started this uh, on the inventive side back in the late 1980s. And it wasn't until 1992 that we figured out how we could do it. And then what we learned was that uh, because of the codes and regulations, they were absolutely helping us work the program to make water flow faster because what they did is put in codes called for low flow fixtures and other issues that just prevented the hot water from getting through your fixtures very quickly. So what we did was actually uh, conducive to creating a much faster rapid flow. And that's when we came up with the electronic controls uh, called demand systems back in 1992, 93. And then we set the codes with uh, IATMO, UPC plumbing codes in 1995, and also the UL standards for that as well, because they had no, no uh, clarification on the, that product. So we had to set those standards with them. Uh, so that was incorporated into the program in 1995. Yeah. So physically, uh, the system is a pump that's hooked up to the hot water distribution system to recirculate hot water to that farthest fixture and then back to the water heater? There's two ways of actually doing it. We incorporated it to begin with to have a pump control systems. Our, our key to our company is really is the electronic controls. Uh, we had to buy offline pumps because we don't make, we don't manufacture wet rotor pumps. At that time, uh, at the beginning, we worked with uh, Taco. Uh, John, um, the chairman of the company at that time was a friend of mine and we wanted to make, uh, I wanted to be sure we had a product made in the U.S. Uh, Later on, we actually changed. John was going to sell Taco at that time, and we decided that, you know, we better have a second source. So we worked with uh, Grunfuss, who had their operations in Fresno, California, which was much closer to our location. They eventually built a large factory. So all of their pumps, instead of being made in Denmark or some other country, they were actually made in the Fresno area, and we've worked very closely with them since to incorporate a pump that would work effectively with our electronics. There's two ways of distributing hot water. One is with a dedicated return line, which would mean you'd have a recirculating line where you had the pump at the water heater and it just moved around in a circle. And with the hot water line just went from the water heater 
out through the line, then had a dedicated third line that went back into the water heater. That was the most common practice, but the way they operated it was 24 seven, it ran 24 hours a day, or they put it on a timer, which most people realize that it wasn't very efficient from the standpoint the timer would go off, that there'd be a, a power outage or a shortage or something. So they'd have to go back and reset the timer. And also it was never on at, a, at the best time for them to use hot water. It didn't seem to work well for them. And then they'd go on vacation and the thing would be running all the time. Yeah. So we came up with electronic control that operates that pump only on the demand of the user. Now there was two things we wanted to do. We wanted to move the water a little quicker because we wanted to get it there one time. In other words, we just really wanted to transfer the cold water or ambient temperature water, the water that settles in your line, whatever that temperature is. We wanted to move that water back into the water heater, replacing it by the hot water coming out of the water heater and then have it automatically shut off. So it's not recycling all the time because that caused degradation in the lines and it also created uh, <clears throat> some major costs to uh, operation of your water heater um, because it, it kept turning the water heater on all the time, whether you used hot okay. water or not. That's one way. The other way was basically to use a cold water as a return line. And that's where we focused on because uh, 95 or more percent of the homes in the United States didn't have a recirculating line. They only had a hot water and a cold water line and it went out from the water heater and branched off a lot of different directions. What we realized if we go to the last fixture, either your master bathroom or your kitchen, whichever that happened to be in your home, <clears throat> and we attached those two lines together by a valving system, we could move the hot water from the water heater to the furthest location of your home by moving the cold water that you've been running down the drain simply back through the cold water line back into the water heater. So we were just displacing water by using the cold water as literally your third line, if you want to call it that. But it was yeah. basically just using an existing plumbing that's already in your house. Now, the key to that was nobody wants hot water in their cold water line. So we had to devise a control system where that hot water, if we moved it quick enough, it would go through the pipe like a plug. Meaning if you move it at two to three gallons per minute, it actually flowed like a plug through the line. So your hot water then would be pushing the cold water in front of it uh, very quickly with very little difference between the ambient, the, the cold water and the hot water. So we developed electronic control systems that worked uh, on a Delta T, not a temperature. In other words, we didn't shut it off with a set temperature like, okay, when it reaches 100, 104 degrees, it shuts down. That, that wasn't gonna work for us. We work on the memory of the sensor and the electronics knowing what your temperature is in your line already. For example, Let's say you live in Nevada mm -hmm. and you live in Las Vegas. In the wintertime, your temperature in your cold and hot water line in your home may be in the 50s or 60s. 
you live in Reno, it's typically always in the 40s or 50s most of the time. In the summertime in uh, Las Vegas, it may get up to 70. So it wasn't a matter of set temperature. We needed to know what that actual temperature was. It's called ambient temperature, and that's the water that's in your cold and hot water line when you haven't used any water for any length of time. And you know it, and everybody out there knows it. So when you go to the fixture and you turn on your hot water, whether you turn the hot, hot water on or the cold water, it's the same temperature. It's going to be cold. That's the water we needed to, to monitor what that temperature was. So our sensor knows that that water temperature, let's say, is 60 degrees, just to pick a number. So you got 60 degree temperature in both your hot and cold water line. When we're moving water from the water heater, transferring that 60 degree cold water that's in your hot water line, when we reverse that line, we have to be sure to shut it off at that last fixture where it crosses over from the hot to cold. Way we do that is, well, the delta T. It knows what the temperature is, so the sensor automatically recognizes a temperature rise of, let's say, six to eight degrees. That's adjustable, by the way, but it's, say, six to eight degrees. So it goes from 60 to 66, 67 degrees, and it shuts off. Why? Because within two feet of that fixture where we shut it off, that water temperature is around 120 degrees. So when you turn your hot water on, you're going to have hot water literally within two seconds. And that's really the key. And yet when you turn your cold water on, that cold water line is still going to be at that ambient temperature of 60 degrees. We don't change that. That was a very tricky way to do it. And uh, that's what we actually based our whole concept on was the delta T or knowing what that temperature is. Yeah. So just to try to recap to make sure I understand this correctly, you're taking, because the, the, there's been no activity to call for water, hot water, uh, the temperature in the hot water line and the cold water line is, becomes basically the same temperature. Amb ambient temperature is what yeah. they call it. Uh -huh. So you're running, uh, the, the water in the hot water line through the cold water line, but the temperature of that water is the same. And by the time it gets, by the, by the time the hot water from the hot water heater gets to the pump, it turns off so that you're never running hot water through the cold, cold line. That's exactly right. That's okay. a very simplistic way of putting it. It's a little more complicated than that, Robbie. Yeah. But that is, that is correct. Okay. Is there a problem running that hot water through the cold water line is it does it do anything to the piping or anything since that pipe is always seeing the cold water um or anything well let's let's back up a second we're never running hot water through the cold water yeah. line. I, I guess that's why i'm asking is because you you specifically designed the system to turn off once the hot water gets to the pump and then would be delivered to the faucet. Um, is there a reason you did that? Uh, is there? Well, other than replumbing your home, that was the easiest and most economic way to do it because you're not required to do any any intrusive plumbing at all. Yeah. All you're doing is you're putting a uh, electronic control and a pump 
at the furthest fixture, which in most cases is either your master bath or, or your kitchen. Those are the, the two, probably I would say 98% of the time, those are the two areas people complain the most about not getting hot water. The wife yeah. complains about it not getting at the kitchen and the husband complains about it not getting at the bathroom. So yeah. for two different reasons, we learned a long time ago that this is actually more of a woman's product than it is a man's. And the reason is, is because they hate waiting. They use hot water more than the men do, basically, except at the bathroom. And the kitchen is a key uh, component area where they need to get hot water or want it virtually when they need it. Uh, and to give you an idea, just to, as a, an analogy, I my wife used to turn the kitchen sink on and let it run to try to get the hot water because it typically would take about a minute and a half or two minutes to get hot water there. So she's running that water down the drain. She's overworking, doing something, making dinner, still letting the water run. And I realized when I look over, I could, after a while, I could see the hot water. I could see steam coming out of the sink. And I would say, honey, you, you got hot water. And she looked over and she said, I'll be there in a minute. In other words, she continued to let it run because yeah. she was busy doing something. So I started calculating the time that she actually let that water run. And it's interesting. The time, the period of time that she let it run was more than three minutes, typically on an average three to three and a half minutes. And the hot water actually got there in about a minute and a half. So for another minute and a half, she's running nothing but hot water down the drain. And how long do you think she actually uh, used that hot water that she turned on? How, what period of time do you think she used it for? About a minute. Well, no, try 15 seconds because all she needed to do was to clean something or something. So she really lost close to 95% of the water in the line, just to use water for 15 seconds on an average. Plus and that's, uh, yeah. And that's where we see the real critical factor. That's what people do. I used to do that in the shower. I used to go in and turn the shower on because it takes so long. I'd, I would go back to the kitchen, get my coffee, whatever I'm doing. When I come back in the bathroom, the bathroom was steamed up. Why? Because the hot water got there long before I got back. So yes. that loss is critical. And then years later, back in, in the 2000, early 2000s, I learned from uh, physics and some of the things I was reading that it takes more energy to heat water than any liquid or solid in the world. And I'm going, wow, no wonder it's so expensive to operate because it takes a lot of energy to heat it. Then after studies and tests, we found that for every five or six gallons of water that goes through your water heater at an average of around 60 degrees, let's say 50, 60 degrees and coming from outside city water, yeah, that represented a kilowatt hour to heat up for five or six gallons. Then I found out from the government, it was a report that was put out back in the 90s that for every kilowatt hour represented a pound and a half of carbon dioxide 
wow, now you're really getting into some energy losses that occur by heating and the loss of hot water. <clears throat> so we focused on the energy side, not just the water side as well. And now it's calculated that the average home loses about 12,000 gallons of water that's heated a year running it down the drain. Okay, 12,000 gallons a year now represents about 2,000 to 2,500 kilowatt hours. Well, that represents about uh, 5,000 pounds of carbon dioxide per home. Yeah. So it doesn't take much to realize what we're doing, what we could do to save on the energy side. And at the EBA conference, which where we chatted for a while, there was a fellow uh, there that has built, uh, Daryl McMaster builds homes off grid mm -hmm. uh, down in the uh, Austin area. <clears throat> and he's been doing that for many years. He's got three generations of builders. And he found that our product in his home saved more energy than any product that he has in that home. He did the calculations and as have other people in the meantime have done the same thing. So if, if we're looking at just water saving, that's one thing. But if you're looking at what it really does functionally, it, it prevents air pollution. It also saves water. It saves the pollution factor from processing. In other words, anything that goes down a drain, it's potable is going to become sewage because it mixes with black uh, black sewage as well. So now your processing plants, which are overworked, uh, frankly, there isn't one in the, in the country that is not overworked and is capable of really handling all the sewage processing. It's just not happening. We're dumping trillions of gallons of water a year into the ocean and into the lakes because they don't have the processing plant to process it so they're just going out in, into the uh, our our water body that's creating the pollution problem because it's raw sewage yeah. so we need to cut that back and that's what our goal is but probably the most important thing robbie which is really interesting we did a study in 1995 we sent out uh, uh sold product to. We didn't know the size of their home or anything else. We just knew they bought it. So we sent them a questionnaire. There were 30 homes we sent out. I was hoping to get maybe two or three back that would give me some information. You know, people don't like to make out questionnaires. They just don't do it. Yeah. We actually got 26 responses out of 30 back. And the indication was what they really liked about the product was the convenience of getting the hot water when they turned the faucet on. They weren't concerned about the savings of water or energy. At that time, water wasn't as critical in their mind because it was cheap. You know, as right. well as I do, it's well undervalued even now, today. So people don't really think about it until they don't have it anymore. You got people up in Michigan and, and other areas where all of a sudden they don't have any water at all, then they start realizing how important it is to them. Uh, but the, uh, the, uh, the key was really that uh, it's a convenience added that once people put this product in their home, they absolutely wouldn't be without it. They just absolutely 
if something goes wrong, whether power goes out or something, first thing they do is I got to get this fixed because my wife is screaming at me. She doesn't want to wait uh, for hot yeah. water. Nobody does. Yeah, it's it's uh, very common to uh, energy efficiency and other aspects of the house that comfort is the real driver for not only the changes that we've made in how we build our houses, but in terms of being able to sell energy efficiency, uh, it, it makes a lot more sense to sell comfort than than efficiency. Uh, it just always seems to work better. Well, they understand that. They understand the inconvenience. Uh, and over the last, I would say, 30, 35 years, people have become a lot more impatient. So they want things now. They, they don't like to wait. It's kind of like, uh, you know, my wife gets into a car and she, let's say it's 100 degrees outside, she gets in and automatically turns the air conditioner up high thinking she's going to get cold air. And it doesn't work that way. You know, you, it's got to build up to be able to transition that that air conditioning. And the same thing's to the opposite. In the wintertime, turning the heat on, you don't get, you know, you're not going to get hot air. Uh, we just, we've got a community or a society of impatient people. We want things now. And we don't understand, the majority of the population does not understand what energy saving really means. They don't know how to fix them. Uh, well, what does it mean? I shut my light off? You know, what, what, how do you think energy? Well, the children today are learning it from school, you know, shut the lights off, make sure you, there's certain things that they, they're following a pattern of, of education to, to be more energy efficient and understanding it. Uh, from the water side, it's never been uh, a factor with most of the society only because water has been so inexpensive. They haven't really been charged for it. <clears throat> In other words, we ought to be charged for what we use. Mm -hmm. That would be the key. I mean, there are folks out there that are experts in this industry to say the same thing. We need to, whatever utility we use, whether it be energy or water, whatever, we ought to be charged for it as we use it. It should be metered and we are charged either by gallon or kilowatt hour. It's that simple. We're not. Uh, we live in a very flexible world where you can leave your water faucet running outside in the lawn for, you know, for, I forgot to shut it off. It's been running for three hours. Uh, that should be very costly. Then people start realizing that this is a critical natural resource that we can't allow to let run or waste or lose in, in our everyday life. We're getting that way, but uh, it's going to take time. And a product like ours, may, it, it's harder for us to sell a concept for saving water when people don't think there's a, that much of a value to saving water. Now that we're watching Lake Powell and those lakes go to nothing, uh, yeah. it, it, then we're starting to realize, oh, you know, maybe we ought to be a little more concerned about this. Yeah. yeah. That's what we're trying to do. So from, from what you're saying, in California, they don't charge per gallon. They don't have a water meter on the house that's tracking that. How, how's water billed in California where you are? Well, they got meters now, but they, uh, I remember talking to one of the managers of one of the major uh, water agencies in Southern California, 
And he went out to check his meter one day only to found, find out that it had been broken and he thinks it had been broken for about 15 years. So how do they measure it? You know, How do they know how much water he uses? So the answer was there, there never was that much of a concern for really measuring it. And water usage uh, is measured by water meters out on in your yard. It's somewhere out in this near the street, typically. Now they're uh, measuring water, monitoring water in some of the newer homes, both indoors and outdoors. So they can determine what the value is, how much water you're using outdoors and how much you're using actually indoors. But the cost of water itself, for, for example, cold water from the energy side is hot water is nine times more energy and uh, inefficient. In other words, it takes more, nine times more the energy to heat water to your usable temperature than cold water. So we're really talking about cold water is still relatively inexpensive. Hot water is where your costs are because it represents your energy side, not not just your water side. And uh, that's that's really where the key is. And we see that as being the focus point or the low hanging fruit. Prevent the water from being heated so much and don't waste it. You're going to save both energy and water. And of course, you're going to reduce the air pollution and and also the sewage processing up to. 10 to 12,000 gallons a year. Yeah. So in an existing home, you explained that uh, you can retrofit a pump in below your um, faucet at your farthest fixture away from the water heater um, and run the, run the water back through the cold side. Uh, you also need electricity at that point, I'm guessing, underneath there. Yes, there is that been a stumbling point uh, in terms of getting these systems installed. Well, it's a roadblock um, because the, you do have to look at uh, look at the concept of oh well, I don't have an electric under there, so how do I plug it in? Well, the kitchens do; they generally have a dual plug that you can have access to that. So kitchen areas aren't quite as critical. Uh, bathrooms. A uh, little more critical. It's a roadblock. It's more of a cost. But in order to get the system to operate properly on a Delta T, especially, you need to have that power source to be able to manage it. Now there are other products on the market that have um, that say they do the same thing, and they have what they call cross connections that work on uh, actual temperature settings. So the IATMO uh, UPC allowed some of these systems to be involved. And what they really do is they, they shut down with a, a valve in there that's uh, temperature controlled. So when the water reaches about 104 degrees, 103 degrees, it, it, shuts, it, it closes off between the two. So you have a pump at the water heater and pushes the water out in through the hot water line then crosses into the cold water line. But uh, you get anything over 100 degrees going into the cold water line, that's not acceptable because there's no time that I know of you're going to have temperature on a normal basis of 100 degrees in your cold water side. You might have 70 or 75 like in Arizona or 
Las Vegas or someplace in the summertime, but not 100 degrees. Now, the only way you can get that is if you run your pipes overhead in your attic and you don't insulate them. Yeah, I can guarantee you're going to have hot water uh, on both sides, cold and hot. Uh, so that's another issue I've got is on structuring your plumbing. Running your pipes overhead is not what I would call an efficient way to do it. Yeah, and sure. I've tried to I've tried to help you know get around that one too. Yeah, um, in an existing home uh, where you don't have a a looped uh, system that's bringing water back to the to the hot water heater, um, do you have to have more than one system to really be uh, to really conserve water and energy? Well, yes and no. It depends on how your house is laid out. Now, the city of San Antonio saws, uh, called the water department, San Antonio Water, <clears throat> they, uh, they actually were offering to put two of our systems into the homes in San Antonio for years at no cost to the homeowner. And the reason they did that is because the homes, their older homes built in San Antonio, the water heater was in the middle of the house. So they had long runs both directions. Yeah. But for the last 20, 30 years, most of the homes are designed to where one system works very efficiently. Uh, if it's a production home builder or something like that, it works very well. And that's typically either your, depending on what part of the country you're in, it's either your kitchen, which used to be in the front of the house. Now it's at the back of the house because it's all patio living now. So we build homes a little differently aesthetically. The, uh, the, if it's a two-story, typically the kitchen is somewhere below the master bath. So if you got hot water to your master bath, you have it at your kitchen within a few seconds anyway. But yeah, so potentially, yeah, so potentially the the master or whatever primary faucet on the second floor would be your furthest faucet. Um, might that plumbing might pass by your kitchen, but in older houses, really two locations, your kitchen and your and your farthest faucet should cover all the all the demand that you would need, right? It will cover the most complaint areas that you have yes but actually just the opposite the older homes two-story the plumbing was under slab or under flooring so it, they have risers that go up to the master bathroom on the newer homes where they've been running the plumbing overhead it's just the opposite you've got the plumbing going overhead and if you insulate the lines really well it's fine but the plumbing comes down then it comes down to the master bath then down to the kitchen so you have reverse risers in other words the pipes run down instead of up uh, so it's but you correct it it depends on the on the home and yeah. it's real easy to determine that because people already know where the complaint is oh my god i wait forever in my master bathroom or i wait forever in my kitchen yeah yeah so they go, well, how do I know how my plumbing's laid out? Well, that's very easy. Your, your pipes are simply like a road. Wherever they go, they go. You can't, you're not going to get off the road. In other words, if you've got a major problem in your master bathroom, that's where you turn the water on. You actually determine how long it takes you to get that hot water. Then you shut the water off and go to the kitchen 
and turn that on and see if that's helped get that water quicker to the kitchen. In other words, you, you can do that by, you know, your water heater is typically in the garage in most cases, and you can, or in the, in the basement, I think, uh, in your area, you have a lot of basements. So yeah, we have a lot of basements here. Yeah. yeah so colder climates there, it's generally not in the garage, but, uh, it, it, it's also generally not centrally located. Right. It, it's absolutely true because uh, the way the water heater works, they try to put it on a wall somewhere. So, and they try to put it where the main water supply line comes in from the street. So they don't have to run a lot of plumbing around the house. So uh, the same thing applies whether you have a basement or not. And um, so people know where their main problem is. And if they can solve that problem, they're generally happy campers. Now, do we yeah. have people buying more than one? Yeah, because after they put it in, they realize how efficient it is. And they now they said, oh, my God, I'm waiting almost a minute in another part of the room. I don't want to wait. So they'll yeah. get another system. So in new home construction, are they most often putting the pump down at the tank water heater right right there? Yeah, that's happening for two reasons. Um, one is, is the plumbing contractors were charging a lot of money to the builders for putting in a third line. Uh, that was kind of a uh, let's say a plus for them because the builder say, yeah, I want to put a recirculating line in. And the plumber goes, oh boy, now, you know, and he charges them. Typically he'll charge more money for that. Uh, probably a lot more than he should, but he, he, he does get, he, get, he gets a pretty good fund for, for doing the third line. But the codes in a lot of areas now are requiring the third line, which are making installing those third lines in the plumbing area uh, becoming more of a, uh, efficient. In other words, they're being competitive. So their, their pricing are going down to, to more of a commodity level where they, they need to plumb the house that way. But uh, the codes are actually looking at doing that because they're trying to separate uh, and make that, that hot water line more efficient for the fixtures. And when you have one hot water line going throughout the house, that means your branch lines could be shorter going to the fixtures than it would be if you are what they call a trunk and branch. You're going out with a hot water line and then it branches out, you know, 10 different ways like they did years and years ago. Yeah. Uh, that's not very efficient. So they're trying to get more efficient and, and have the water heating system closer to the fixtures. And you can do that by structuring your plumbing on a dedicated return line and then having it show up closer to... Uh, your branches so your branches will be shorter yeah um, so the the structured technique would be running a loop around the house and then taking a branch off that root loop to each uh fixture that's primarily what they do and <clears throat> some builders actually put a dedicated loop only to the master bathroom and then the rest of their branches i mean they it's very convoluted. There's no <clears throat> real specifications for plumbing like there is electrical. Um, we've tried to create a, a, spec, a, a speculation, a specification that would require 
the the builders to specify the plumbing where it goes <clears throat> so they wouldn't have those problems to begin with but you can yeah. put structured plumbing in two different ways you can put it in by having a dedicated third line like we just discussed or you can put it in by what we call a half a half structured plumbing meaning you you dedicate your pipe like you would having your hot water line go by each fixture but instead of running a dedicated return line back, you simply use the cold water as your return line because you're still going to be at every fixture getting the hot water there. You're just returning that water that's in your hot water line that's cold. You're returning it via your cold water. We're doing the yeah. same thing, but just creating a more efficient loop. Yeah. And it's only it's only necessary. The loop is only necessary on the um hot side right you, you mean from a structured plumbing technique you're not running a loop back to the water heater on the cold side as well and then branching off of that no you you'd never need that i mean no matter where you are in your home when you turn your cold water on that's what you get you get cold water yeah so, so the sense. answer is you're really looking at managing your hot water supply line yeah. Um, so there are a few water heaters out there now that are offering uh, circulation systems that are built into the water heaters. Primarily, they're tankless water heaters. What do you think of those compared to uh, your system? Well, that's, that's a really good question. We actually created those companies to do that, we we not intentionally because they're a competitor, of course. But uh, we laid out in, in 2000, we laid out the plumbing uh, at Renai, for example, in their plant in Peachtree City. We spent three days laying a 20, 2,800 square foot house out in uh, in their warehouse to. to to do tests on pump systems and everything else. And then I put together a program that used our system with the Renai heater. Well, it wasn't long before companies like Renai and, and, and Takagi and other people in that industry decided that they wanted to do their own thing. So they decided to not use my system, but yeah. to go ahead and put it within the pump. I think, my personal feeling is uh, they don't specialize in the electronics that we do. So their system doesn't operate on the same principle we do. They say that functionally it does the same thing. Well, yeah. it really doesn't. It It's partial, but not complete. That's what we do. We, we're not in the water heater business. We don't make tankless water heaters, nor would I want to. And in reality, they don't make pump systems to circulate the water, they only make water heaters. So now they're trying to incorporate two things. And if the pump doesn't work correctly, the electronics don't work correctly in that water heater, <clears throat> guess who they blame? They blame the whole water heater now. Yeah. So they, they end up with a problem trying to take care of when it really isn't their core problem. Their, their core issue is with the water heater, not yeah. with the pump system. So Can I don't, I don't like it because it, it's competing with me yeah, and yeah. it's it's a it's a lack of education that the people understand yeah can your system work with a tankless water heater as well as a tank water heater 
at the very beginning when they had Renai and Takagi and Noritz and when these companies came into the market originally, we our product was the only product in their specs they were actually part of their requirements that if you're going to circulate water, the only way you're going to do it is to use our system. They actually had it in their specifications uh, because they did not want it to circulate water uh, all the time. If you run hot water back into a tankless water heater, it actually shuts it off. Mm-hmm. So you could be in the shower and all of a sudden your water shut off. It just, that your hot water, you, you get done with cold water. So that's one of the problems with tankless is they don't want it to be in a circulating system that runs the water back into the water heater. That's why they liked ours because it didn't, didn't yeah. allow that hot water to get back to the water heater. So we were in their specifications. Now to add to that, uh, and, and this is something maybe you should know, you know, we're going to elect- electrification. So a lot of the things out there now are going to become electric water heaters. Yeah. Yeah. Right what they call heat pump water. I had a heat pump water heater in 1985 uh, because I thought it was a great idea. But back in those days, it wasn't very efficient. Frankly, it didn't work very well and uh, cost me a lot more money than it was worth. But I wanted to try it when I built a house. And I built my own house as my own general manager. I built a 3,500 square foot house and put a heat pump water heater in. Heat pump water heaters work kind of the opposite of a tankless water heater. And what I mean by that is running and circulating water, hot water back into a tank water heater uh, will create the water heater to shut off and a tankless water heater. Electric heat pump water heater is kind of just the opposite. If you run the water back into the tank at a lower temperature, than what you're trying to put out, it actually creates the heat pump to work all the time. It makes the heat pump work all the time because it's always trying, it's always thinking that water's not reaching up that point where you want it to 120 degrees. So it, it, you got just the opposite effect. So either case, you do not want to run water circulating full time or even on a timer back into either uh, an electric tank heat pump water heater or a tankless gas water heater. It's just not not the way to go. They're learning that now. Yeah. Interesting. So are you seeing more and more builders um, interested in your technology or or circulation systems in general? Yeah, they, they always have been. It's always the builder that owns the building company that typically put it in his house himself and love it, but they didn't put it into their homes or building because the cost factor, they didn't want to add more cost to their home. So there was an economic motivation for a lot of them not doing it. But it's interesting, I had one major builder, one of the top three or four builders, I think he's the top three builders. He was telling me for the last four years, they've actually specified uh, the plumbing, the way we designed it in all their homes. The problem was, is on a national basis, each region had a tendency to do their own thing. So they had so many things to worry about. The plumbing was never done correctly to, to operate. But now they're looking at actually doing it a different way and specifying it as part of the program. So if we get that, we'll have like, you know, a builder that builds 10, 12,000 homes a year will be a standard specified in their system. But then, 
Same thing. You 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 remember the same thing happened with dual pane windows. Nobody wanted to put in dual pane windows until they made them mandatory. Yeah. And then when they or gave them a lot of credit, and then after they gave them a lot of credit, they made them mandatory, so they couldn't get the credit anymore. They just had to put them in. Yeah. But you you and I would not want a home without dual or or a, a, a window typically like that. We just yeah. wouldn't do it. Are you seeing that recirculation systems are mandatory in California? <clears throat> they are uh, actually two things. One is they are and they are not. If you put a circulating system in that runs on a timer or full time, it's you can't do it. It's, yeah. You just can't do it that way. So they're requiring circulating systems in some areas but they have to be on control systems like what we have. They, they must it, be on controls. Is it primarily being driven from a water conservation side or an energy efficiency side by the municipalities? Well, I, it's advertised wise, it's from a water side. Uh, in reality, it's more, it's probably equally on the energy side as well but it's harder for the utilities to try to explain energy savings than it is water savings. Yeah. <laughs> it's easier yeah. to say, well, you need to cut your lawn, you know, cut this down, do, don't do this. But when in reality, uh, most of our water in the state of California is used in agriculture, not in residential. Residential represents a very, very small percent of the total water actually used in California. Yeah. But it's the low-hanging fruit for advertising and promotion. Yeah. So here in the West, we're having more and more uh, drought conditions uh, popping up. And as you mentioned, the Colorado River is not flowing like it used to and filling up uh, Lake Mead and Lake Powell. Uh, are you seeing other jurisdictions outside of California uh, beginning to require recirculation systems for water conservation? Uh, well, not just circulating systems, but other forms of, of uh, distribution of the hot water. It could be, like I said, that it could be a short loop area where you're not circulating the water using the cold water as a return line. But the answer is that we're definitely seeing more codes and regulations being effective by the fact that they need to save water. And that's a worldwide issue. I mean, yeah. the largest river in Italy is is drying up it's like the colorado river is so it's not just a local thing we we've, we've got a major world problem yeah so larry how did you get interested in water oh boy okay uh i'll try to answer that without spending another hour yeah i have i i was a backpacker uh, as a kid uh growing up and I literally would put a backpack on my back from the age of 17 and uh, I would use topography maps that were used by the military because <clears throat> there was no other way to do it. And I'd take topography maps and uh, at that time, back in the 60s and late 50s, uh, I could go to a army surplus store and buy all of these foods and stuff that were condensed. So yeah. I kind of become a civilized military guy, I guess you'd call it that. And I traveled literally all over 
uh, Rocky Mountains and the Pacific Coast uh, lines because I, I like to fish, like to camp. And so I would just use trails and uh, topography maps to get around. And what I learned was that we had a lack of uh, a lack of water supply. I mean, it was pretty critical that our water supply comes from a couple of different sources. One is the sky. And of course, about 95 or 98% of that runs off into the ocean. So we lose that and we're, our capability of containing that water is, is not good at all. We use less than 1% of the fresh water in the world is acceptable to us where we can get it. The rest of it is in the North Pole, South Pole and areas we can't have it. Our aquifers are another source, but they're drying up because we're using way too much water out of them. And uh, an aquifer is sort of like a sponge. If you draw water out of the sponge, it becomes crusty and it doesn't absorb water very well. And that's what's happening to our aquifers. So we're losing access to a lot of our aquifers. And of course, as you know, the groundwater is depleting Colorado River and other rivers like it are, are going away. I said 35, 40 years ago that I thought the Colorado River would dry up by 2050. Well, I think I was wrong. I think it's going to be a lot earlier than that if we if we don't stop it between now and then. Um, so I got into it because I could see what was happening. And then I was working with a major company that I had the opportunity to travel throughout the United States and also in Europe. And one thing I noticed very clearly that we were polluting most of our water supply that was surface water uh, because of our what we're doing. And the air pollution settles down and rains and that rain comes down as pollution and it pollutes our water supply. And then up in Quebec, Canada, when I was up there traveling, uh, I saw the top of the trees actually looked like they were dying from some sort of uh, pine, big pine tree, beautiful country, but big pine trees were dying from 12 feet up to the top. And I asked them, what, what do you have? Some kind of a virus or bug or something? And they went, no, that's uh, acid rain. And I'm going, what? What are you talking about? They said, well, the, and then that's why you need to learn a little about geology. Yeah. The, yeah. the current goes up there and what happens, it picks up all the stuff that was happening in Cleveland and Pittsburgh and all the manufacturing and it'd get up into Canada because it goes Northeast and then it would drop, literally drop in rain. It was killing all the trees. So water supply, and I do you ever, do you ever hear the term 10, 10 cupping when you go camping? Uh, no. Yeah, that, that shows my age, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, tin cupping is where you had a tin cup with a little handle on it, and yeah. you took it onto your belt. And when you go camping or backpacking in the Sierras or wherever you are, you could take the cup and dip it into the lake or water and drink from it. You can't do that anymore. You do that, you're going to get sick. Even at a lake at 11,000 feet, you've got to uh, you've got to clean that water. Otherwise, you're going to get sick because the snow and what comes down into that lake is is not drinkable, not not acceptable. It's got too much chemicals and other things in it. So I realize that we've got to do something to save the quality of the water, just not the water itself, but the quality of the water. Yeah, well, that's that's, uh, how, I, that's how I kind of got into it. Yeah. 
Well, thank you so much for your time today and, and explaining uh, your passion about water and your invention, the demand control uh, system to recirculate water in our houses. I really appreciate it. Yeah, everything you see out there today that says on demand came from our invention back in 1991 and 92. Uh, and I get a kick out of it. People say, well, didn't you create that? Well, yeah, but you know, it's, it's hard to protect certain trademarks and patents, uh, patents run out after eight, 17, 18 years. So yeah. there's other things you have to deal with, but we're way into the technology. And our new technology, as you saw at the EVA conference is with Bluetooth technology. Yeah, And we can operate almost everything off of a cell phone. We have a free app that we give them so they can, they can literally register. Uh, they can activate the system by their cell phone. They can set things like temperature. They can set things like timing. Like if I want my system to go off at six in the morning, I can set it for six. It'll shut itself off automatically. So all I want to do is activate it. And then we also have a freeze control, which could be of interest in places in, in Colorado, for example. That means if in my app, I can set my temperature automatically to say, if the temperature ever drops below 38 degrees, the pump automatically goes on. Why? Whether I'm there or not, it's going to do it. Yeah. The reason is because I don't want my pipes to freeze. Yeah. And a lot of areas back east uh, have that kind of problem. So we put that in there as part of our app, including- uh, Which could make sense in an existing home. Hopefully you would never, have that possibility in, in our new, more efficient homes. Thank you for listening to this episode of BuildCast, brought to you by BuildTank, Inc. To see show notes and learn more about our guests and other episodes, visit the BuildCast page of our website at www.btankinc.com. Thank you, Ben Sound, for our music and to Ashley Owen for editing it. And you for your encouragement and guidance in the creation of BuildCast. You can listen to BuildCast on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite platform. If you enjoyed our show and are willing, please take a moment to subscribe and review BuildCast, which will help others find it more easily. Thanks again for listening, and please let us know who you would like to hear next and if you have any suggestions to make BuildCast better. Until next time, be safe and continue to think 0 to 360.